Let's open our Bibles. We are going to read from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We will read verse 1 to 20 and then 50 to 58. And the very last verse will also be the text for the sermon. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let's read this together, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I deliver to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures and that he was seen by Cephas then by the twelve after that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once of whom the greater part remain to the present but some have fallen asleep after that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, then last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some, of, some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead are, do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. We're going to skip a section here and go to verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, 
nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised, incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. This is our scripture reading, and the text is this last verse. Let's read it one more time. I'm wondering, maybe we can do it together. It's a short verse that will help you to memorize it too. I'm not sure that we all have the same translation, so whatever. Uh, let's just try. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ here, brothers and sisters, guests, young and old, Last month we celebrated Easter, the day that we remember the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, which is arguably the most important event in the history of mankind. It's also easy to forget about it again, because life goes on, we are all busy, we have our things that we, we have to do. Have you thought? about Easter this past week? Have you thought, have you reflected on the fact that we have a risen Savior? That the Lord Jesus, who was dead, is alive? So I thought it would be good to continue on this theme a little bit further, a little bit more because it is so important for us, for our daily walk of life, that we realize and that we live with the reality that Jesus Christ is alive. So, we are going to look at this text under this theme, Christ was raised from the dead. Therefore, three things come from this text to us. We need to be steadfast, immovable, second, always abounding in the work of the Lord, and third, knowing that our labor is not in vain, so we can expect fruit from our work in the Lord. So it's a short text, 
we can almost look at every word. Let's start at the beginning. Therefore, my beloved brethren, my beloved brothers. So you feel the personal character here. In the rest of the letter, he at various times addresses the readers as brethren, as brothers. But now he adds something to it. My beloved brethren, my beloved brothers. Who were these people, we might ask? Let's just for a moment try to get into the situation. Why did Paul love these brothers and sisters in 1 Corinthians? It's actually remarkable. If you read through the whole letter, you will find that they were not really what you might say a, a model congregation. They were not a perfect church, not at all. Um, there were divisions, for example, in this church. They didn't all, all agree. Some favored pastor so-and-so, others favored pastor so-and-so. Then you also find that there were some serious sins in the congregation. Chapter 5, you can read about it. Some serious sins that were not being addressed. They didn't know what to do with it. And then in the later chapters, you find that they also didn't agree on some key issues of faith. For example, in this chapter, we find that there were some who said, oh, there is not going to be a resurrection in the future, no. That it's, it's happened already. And Paul had to, had to address that issue. There were other issues, spiritual gifts, the work of the Spirit in the congregation, how should we understand all that? So, as I said, it's not a model congregation, and yet Paul, he loves these people. If you read the beginning, uh, the way he starts his letter, he says, chapter 1, verse 4, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus. Isn't that nice? These people were not perfect. There was some work to do for the elders in that church. But Paul says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, you guys, you have been so enriched by the Lord. There are so many gifts among you. It's wonderful to see. I thank God every day for you guys. And then comes this whole letter and he addresses all these issues. My beloved brothers and sisters, with all your issues, I wonder if you can look at your congregation in the same way. So, you people here in Owen Sound, you think of your congregation, though I know there are guests, you can think of your own congregation. How do you think of your congregation? I'm sure you can think of weaknesses and shortcomings and problems in your church. And maybe you talk about those and you think about those, but the question then is, can you also, like Paul, still say, my beloved brothers and sisters, I can see how the Lord has blessed you with so many gifts. I thank God every day for you, my brothers and sisters, for my congregation. 
I hope that that is how we can all look at our church that we are part of, whatever your church is. You can recognize the gifts of the Lord even as you also see weaknesses and problems. And even as you know, the elders have a lot of work to do. You've got to love your church because Christ has loved your church and Christ has given many gifts to your church. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, let it also be the way you talk about the church in front of your children. You know, when you always complain about the church and the elders this and the minister that and this is not good, and it's a sure way to cause your children to draw the conclusion, okay, if dad and mom are talking about a church like this, why, why should I be part of it? So it's not unimportant how we think about the church and how we speak about it and how we pray about it. Let's follow Paul's example. He addressed the issues, but he still said, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which I see that God has given you. Okay, this is only the introduction, of course, because now Christ come, uh, Paul comes to uh, what he tells them next. Therefore, my beloved brothers, brethren, he says, be steadfast, immovable. Now, we like that, of course. We like to be steadfast and immovable. You don't allow yourself to be pushed around. Where you stand, that's where you stand. That's what a man got to do. But it can also... Paul is not saying, for example, uh, my beloved brothers, be stubborn. Stubbornly hold on to whatever you think. That's not what he says. He says, be steadfast, immovable. So clearly he doesn't want us to be wishy-washy and just flexible in everything, but he wants us to be steadfast and immovable. The question is, in what? What is he talking about here? Well, that's why we had to read this chapter, and we already get an answer in the beginning. Um, verse 1 and 2, he says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which I also received, and in which you stand. You see the same concept? The gospel in which you stand. That's what he's talking about. Be steadfast, immovable, hold on to it. You find the same thing in the next chapter, 16, verse 13. Watch, stand fast in the faith. Be brave, be strong. So, we need to be steadfast and immovable in our faith. We can have differences of opinion about certain issues. We've had differences of opinion about certain issues in the last few years. You all know that. That's fine. But there are certain things we have to be steadfast, immovable. The key issues of the faith. Now, in chapter 15, what is Paul talking about? He's talking about the resurrection and what it means. And it's a chapter that is full of content. It would not be difficult to preach a whole series of sermons on it. Let me quickly summarize it for you. 
the main issues of chapter 15, okay? Just quickly, three things. The first thing that Paul has been saying is that Christ was really raised from the dead. That's why he went through that list. Christ, he died, but then he was raised and he was seen by the apostles, by more than 500 people at one and the same time, also seen by me. So that's the first thing. Christ is alive. Secondly, he has been saying, if Christ is alive, is he, if he was raised from the dead, it means that all those who belong to Christ will also be raised on the last day. Those two things go together. If Christ was raised, those who belong to him will be raised. If those who belong to him will not be raised, then Christ was not raised. Those things go together. And the third thing is this. We need to understand that the body with which we will be raised is going to be different from the body that we have today. You remember he talked about this body that I have today is corruptible. It is fragile. It gets old. It gets weak. But the body that we will be raised with on the last day is incorruptible. It's going to be a glorious body like the body that Christ had, has, a spiritual body, imperishable. Three wonderful truths. Christ was really raised from the dead, so those who belong to him will be raised with him with an incorruptible, imperishable body. Victory. Death is swallowed up in victory. Wonderful chapter in the Bible. Brothers and sisters, that is what we need to be steadfast and immovable about. That's, we need to hold on to this. As I said, we can have differences of opinion about some things, but not this. And it is so important, not just for the Corinthians, but also for us today. We live in a society, as I don't need to explain that to you, society around us don't believe this. Most people in Canada believe that, well, this is life. It's what, that's all you have. When you die, you're done, that's it. You see it in some of the laws that are being adopted in Parliament. You see it in the number of cremations that are rising all the time. As Christians, we stand alone in our belief that Christ is alive and that there is going to be a resurrection from the dead. And I want to appeal to you, just like Paul did, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, hold on to this faith. Don't let it be taken away from you. Thinking of the young people who go to college and university, or I think of all of us as we watch TV and just the things you, you pick up from what people say. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, he is alive, and we who belong to him will be made alive as well with a glorious body. We will live even though we die. Hold on to that. Now, I think I need to bring it a little bit closer yet. Because if we say that Jesus is alive, he's in heaven, and we have this glorious future, it must also have an impact on today, don't you think? 
I was thinking about this as I was working on this sermon, as I was asking myself the question, is it part of my life every day that the Lord Jesus is alive? Because the Lord Jesus, you remember, just before he went to heaven, he spoke to his disciples. He explained to them, he said, I'm going to the Father's house to prepare a place for you. What you ought to do is this, abide in me. I'm leaving, but you abide in me. Like a branch connected to the vine, abide in me and I in you. Brothers and sisters, young people, let me address you for a minute. There should not be a day in our life that we do not have contact with our risen Lord and Savior. If Christ is alive, that doesn't just mean that, oh, we will meet him one day in the future. If Christ is alive and he is our mediator in heaven, and when he says, abide in me, it means that we are supposed to have contact with him each and every day of our life. It must be something really existential that we experience every day. I hope you have experienced this. If not, I, I would say do not rest till you do find him and till you do experience it. Maybe there is someone here who says, yeah, I, I, there was a time in my life that I was close to the Lord Jesus, I, but I think I've lost it a little bit. I've grown distant for whatever reason. To you I say, do not rest until you have found your way back. And do not postpone. Do it today. Make sure you meet the risen Lord and Savior every day. That's the first aspect. And the second thing, shall we read the, that text again together? Just to get it in our mind again. Here we go. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So now we're going to focus on the middle part. Be always abounding in the work of the Lord. So now it becomes practical. When you believe in the risen Christ, it will cause you to be active, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Let's first look at that expression, the work of the Lord. What is that? And maybe you think, well, that must be the work of pastors, ministers, the work of elders, deacons. They do the work of the Lord. And that is true. That is the work of the Lord. That's the way Paul speaks about it. If I can point you again to the next chapter, 16 verse 10. Paul speaks about Timothy. He says, if Timothy comes, see that he may be with you without fear, for he does the work of the Lord, as I also do. So Paul is doing the work of the Lord. Timothy is doing the work of the Lord. They are preaching, pastoring, spreading the gospel. 
But in this text, Paul is not addressing Timothy. He's addressing all the beloved brothers and sisters in the congregation of Corinth. And he says, all of you always be abounding in the work of the Lord. And it makes sense because in the previous chapters, he has just been explaining that it's not just pastors and elders and deacons who have gifts of the Lord. Everybody, every Christian has received gifts that can be used in the congregation and even outside the congregation in the service of God. One has a gift of speaking. Another has a gift of serving. Many of us have both, a little bit of both. We all have, most of us have a mix of gifts that, we, that the Lord has given us that we can use that we can also develop. Looking at the young people again, you have, you, you have received qualities and, and, and gifts that you need to develop to serve the Lord. So Paul is talking to everybody in the congregation. And he says, whatever task the Lord gives you, whatever gifts you have received, use it all and be abounding in the work of the Lord. Whatever it is. So when Jesus Christ becomes your Lord, your master, you need to expect that he is going to take you into his service. He becomes your taskmaster. He's going to give you assignments, maybe little ones to start with, maybe bigger ones, maybe huge. But he's going to give you assignments in his project of gathering and building his church in the world. Now what Paul says, in that work, whatever you, you're doing, always be abounding. So now he's talking about attitude, you could say. It has to come from the heart. You, he said you need to put your heart and soul into it. Do not be a minimalist. Do not be the kind of person who says, okay, they want me to do something what might be just enough that nobody is going to critique me for not doing something. What's the minimum I can get away with in the work of the Lord? You see that on the job side, don't you? There are different kinds of employees. There are those who put their heart and soul into the work. They don't mind to work beyond closing time. Let me finish what I'm working on. And then there are those employees who watch the clock and whenever the clock strikes 4.30, it's time to go home. I'm out of here. So there are some who put their heart and soul into it. Others not so much. What Paul is saying in the work of the Lord, always be abounding. And I think it would help if we remember the example of our Lord Jesus himself. He didn't hold back. He put his heart and soul into it. He put his life on the line in order to make us share in the inheritance of his Father. If you realize that Jesus Christ gave everything and that he was always abounding in his work as Savior to to, to give us a wonderful inheritance that he is going to share with us into eternity. 
why would we not put our heart and soul into whatever he gives us to do? Now, maybe you say, well, I don't know what he wants me to do. I think especially young people can struggle with that. You're not an elder, you're not a deacon, you're just a person in the church. What, what is it that the Lord wants you to do? Well, I would say, just start doing something. What comes to you, what the Lord gives to you each and every day, let it be the small things. And let it be the work of the Lord. You young people, make it your business to, to study the Word of God and, and make it your prayer. Lord, show me what I can do for you. And maybe you can think of, I can say something to this person. This person needs some guidance or encouragement. That friend seems to be losing direction. Lord, do you want me to talk to him? Young people, do not underestimate the gifts that God has given you. You don't have to be an elder or a deacon in order to be able to speak to others and to build others up. I'm sometimes a little bit sad when I see young people in our churches. I preach around a bit, so I see things. A lot of our young people are wasting time on playing games on the computer. Okay? Paul says, always be abounding in the work of the Lord. Find a way to be abounding in the work of the, of the Lord, young guys. Elderly people too, you may be retired or semi-retired. Maybe you don't have a job anymore, but you can still do so much. You can do a few visits here and there. You can help organize something. You can give someone some wise advice. You can pray, intercede for God's people. You can talk maybe to people outside, tell them about church, about Christ. There is so much to do if you pray about it, if you think about it. There's a reason why Paul says, always be abounding in the work of the Lord, because there is, there is so much to do. What a vision, if you think about it, what a vision the Lord gives us in 1 Corinthians 15. We have a, a Savior who was raised from the dead. He's in heaven, he's gathering his church from all nations, so many places, here in Owen Sound, Canada, around the world. He gives gifts to his churches in the world. He gives gifts to all of us personally, individually, and he wants to use us in his service. It's beautiful. We can be part of that. Maybe someone has another objection, and he would say, yeah, that sounds nice, but uh, the reality is, is different. Church work the work of the Lord is not always easy. And church people are not always nice. Yes, true. Church work is not always easy. Church people are not always nice. Sometimes church people say things that they shouldn't say or they write letters that they shouldn't write. Um, the elders know about that, I think, probably. We have come through a few difficult years where 
people in the churches said things to each other that should not have been said and people got hurt in the process so yeah church work is not always easy and church people are not always nice in fact they can be mean sometimes and yet brothers and sisters the church is the project of Jesus Christ it is the body of Christ he gave his life for it and he is working on his church to make it perfect to give it to the Father on the last day he taught us to pray Father forgive us our trespasses as we have forgiven our those who have sinned against us he himself did not give up on his disciples or whoever there was they all deserted him he didn't give up on them he persevered and now he is telling us just follow me do what I give you to do uh, don't be too disappointed when things happen that shouldn't happen it's my project it's my power it's my spirit just be abounding in my work but he says one more thing and that is the last part of the text it won't be for nothing knowing he says that your labor is not in vain in the Lord let's read the text once more together therefore my beloved brethren be steadfast immovable always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord that's a beautiful promise it's not gonna be in vain now I'd like you to just notice quickly that he uses the word labor here did you see that it's a different word than work always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that your labor is not in vain the word for labor could also be translated as your toil so Paul is realistic he says it is hard work I know it is toilsome the work of the Lord it's like you see farmers working in the fields these days they are working hard to plant the crops and they will have to keep working hard all summer and by God's grace there will be a good harvest but it is hard work so it is with the work of the Lord it is toilsome blood sweat and tears it's not like it's not like a holiday so that's the reality but Paul says just know this that if you abound in the work of the Lord it is not going to be in vain now these words in vain he's used them in the chapter a few times he has already said if you don't believe that there is a resurrection of the dead on the last day then your faith is in vain so there are things that there are some things that are in vain but if you believe that there is a resurrection then your work is not in vain there is going to be a profit there's going to be a result and he's been pointing to the future that on the last day the trumpet the trumpet will will sound and so forth it, it's going to be a wonderful day so we have to be bold here brothers and sisters we have to take Paul's words in this sense that when we put in effort 
in the work of the Lord today, there is going to be um, an outcome, a result that goes into eternity, that goes beyond this life. Let me repeat that. What we do for the Lord in Him, in His name, for His people, has a value that reaches into eternity. Now, Paul doesn't exactly say what it will be. He only says it will not be in vain. There will be a good profit. There will be a good outcome. He doesn't say, you know, when you put in this many hours in the service of the church, the output will be this and this and this. No, that's not. He won't do that. We are called, brothers and sisters, to believe that when we faithfully do the work that God has given us in His service, there is going to be fruit that reaches into eternity. There are many passages in the New Testament that teach us that truth. Matthew 25, for example, you know, uh, when the Lord speaks about the sheep and the goats and those on the right hand, the Lord is going to tell them, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. And then those people ask, Lord, when did we do that? You know what he said? When you did it to one of the least of my brothers, you did it for me. So that, that's what they did. And now they hear, please, you're welcome in the kingdom of my Father. So that's just one example that the New Testament gives us of things that we do here on earth that somehow have a value that translates into the life hereafter. Now, we don't want to go into the direction of we can earn our, we can earn our entrance into heaven. That's, that's not what it, this is about. This is about what we do in the service of the Lord. The Lord is pleased to give it a value, to make it important in His work of bringing His church together for eternity. So now, think again about what you're doing in your daily life. And, of course, we can look at the elders and the minister. I think you just got some, some new elders. Brothers, yeah. It may be difficult, maybe you're nervous about it, I don't know. But remember this, if you abound in the work of the Lord, you may know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And you don't have to know exactly how that all works and how words that you speak to on home visits, how that will all have a value. Just trust, the Lord is going to use it. It won't be in vain. Also, looking at parents here, the way you speak to your children. Just be faithful. Teach your children the way that they should go. Talk about the promises of the Lord. It won't be in vain, whatever you do. The Lord will bless it. Or those of you who have opportunities to speak to outsiders, those who are wayward or those who have never even heard of the Lord, just use opportunities. It won't be in vain. 
whatever you do in the Lord. That is the promise here, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So we have a beautiful vision, we have a beautiful task, and we have a beautiful promise. And we don't need to know how it all works. Just do what you've been given to do, trusting that the Lord will somehow make it work in His project, and maybe we'll hear in the future, maybe not, we'll see. But it all works together for the building of God's kingdom. Now, I think I should also add this, brothers and sisters, that this requires submission to Jesus Christ. It requires faith. So if someone says, yeah, it sounds nice, but uh, you know, this is not for me. I prefer to live for myself and I'll just be the master of my own destiny. Then I have to warn you because if that is your choice, then you will find out that your toil is in vain. There's a lot of toil in the world going on. If you look at people's lives, what they all do and how they try to work on their own projects, there's a lot of toil going on. And it's going to be in vain. Moses spoke to the people of Israel in this way. If you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, the Lord will send on you curses, confusion, and frustration in all that you undertake to do. Deuteronomy 28. So we, we do have a choice to make with our lives. We cannot walk two paths at the same time. It's either this way or that way. It's either the way of life or the way of death. It's either serving Christ and his people and be active in his service or not. But one thing I should also say, the Bible is clear about this. Whatever your choice is, you will meet Jesus Christ. You can meet him now as the Lord of your life, follow him as your Lord and Savior. The other way, if you don't do this, you're still going to meet him on the last day, but then you'll meet him as a judge. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, Paul said, verse 50. But those who put their trust in Jesus Christ, wonderful promises. The perishable will put on the imperishable. The mortal will put on immortality. Our life receives sense. We have a vision. We are part of a project that stretches beyond this life into the next. And things that we do in the service of Christ, they are meaningful. Way more meaningful than we even um, realize. So, let us read this verse once more together, and then I'm going to say Amen. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Amen.